welcome to our podcast, Tis But a Scratch, Fact and Fiction About the Middle Ages. Today's episode, an Anglo-Saxon murder mystery, How King Edward Became Edward the Martyr. This episode, I'm afraid, is a solo effort, and it's one that I should begin with an apology. You're going to hear a lot of old English names, and they are going to sound weird, and worse, it's going to be difficult to keep them straight. Anglo-Saxon names, or at least those used by the nobility, most often consisted of two word elements. Alf, meaning elf, and Athel, meaning noble, were extremely popular, as I'm afraid you're going to find out soon. Having said that, here is a story of martyrdom most foul. On March 18th in the year 978, the teenaged English king, Edward, was murdered while riding to visit his stepmother, Queen Alfred, and her young son, the king's half-brother, Athelred, at her estate in Corfe in Dorset. The murdered king's body was buried without ceremony in the church at Wareham, although the only real claimant to the throne was the 11- or 12-year-old Athelred. Archbishop Dunstan refused to anoint him king until Edward's body was found and reburied with appropriate royal honors. A year after the murder, Elderman Althera of Mercia searched for and discovered the body in Wareham. Edward's corpse, or what was purported to be his corpse, was disinterred and brought to the royal nunnery of Shaftesbury, where it was reburied with appropriate honors. By the early 990s, reports began to circulate about miracles occurring at Edward's grave. Shortly after, King Athelred, remembered in history as Athelred the Unready, established an abbey dedicated to his martyred brother on a royal estate that had formerly belonged to his recently deceased mother. In 1001, after Viking raiding had become more intense, King Athelred ordered that the remains of his brother be reburied at Shaftesbury Abbey to be venerated as a blessed martyr. The main source for this period of history, several related chronicles known collectively as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, records the murder of the young king, but does not identify the killers. The only source that does is the monk Bertfirth of Ramsey's Life of St. Oswald, composed about twenty years later, within living memory of at least the older monks of Ramsey. Bertfirth identifies the assassins, but gives no names. According to Bertfirth, young King Edward was the victim of a, quote, wicked and treacherous, end quote, conspiracy concocted by zealous thanes of his 11- or 12-year-old half-brother Athelred, and carried out by some of the great men of the realm. In Bertfirth's narrative, King Edward, longing for the consolation of fraternal love, decided to visit his beloved brother and stepmother at an unnamed royal estate where they dwelt. Quote, fearing nothing and trusting in the Lord and the might of his power, end quote, the king took with him only a few of his household warriors. Upon arriving on the estate, Edward was greeted by the conspirators, described as magnets and leading men. Burford makes it clear that neither Queen Althrith nor Athelred were present, probably a very prudent qualification to make, given that he wrote this while Athelred was king and the queen mother may still have been alive. The unsuspecting king, still on horseback, was surrounded by mounted armed men, quote, just as the Jews once surrounded our Lord. 
while one of them took the king by the right arm and made as if to give him a kiss of peace. Another firmly grabbed his left arm and stamped him. The king cried out and fell from his horse dead. The similarities between Bertford's account of Edward's martyrdom and biblical accounts of the betrayal of Christ are not coincidental. The murder of an anointed king was wicked enough, but the manner in which the killers disposed of the body made it even worse. The sources agree that the killers mistreated Edward's corpse, although they differ on exactly what happened to the body. Berthurst says that the murderers allowed the corpse to be taken to a nearby house of a poor man where it lay covered with a simple blanket and then buried in a makeshift grave. The northern recension of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates that Edward was buried in the church of Wareham without royal honors. The nuns of Shaftesbury promoted the story that Edward's body was found to be completely uncorrupted when Elderman Athower brought it to the abbey a certain sign of his sanctity. Archbishop Wolfstan II, on the other hand, in his Sermon of the Wolf, written around 1014, states as if it were common knowledge that Edward's body had been burnt. It's difficult to reconcile these early sources. All that can be said with confidence is that Elderman Althera presided over the translation of a body from the Church of Wareham to Shaftesbury Abbey, where those remains were venerated as relics of a martyr. I suspect that the corpse may not have even been Edward's, but that of a recently deceased young man who looked enough like the late king to pass buster. That might explain both the incorruptibility of the corpse and why the purported skeletal remains of Edward, excavated in the ruins of Shaftesbury Abbey in 1931, and now housed in a shrine in St. Edward the Martyr Orthodox Church in Brookwood Cemetery in Surrey, has been identified as those of a man at least a decade older than the teenaged king. Edward's emergence as a martyr and saint must have surprised those who knew the kid. In his brief reign, he did little to ingratiate himself with the clergy. In contrast to his father, King Edgar the Peaceable, Edward was neither a champion of monastic reform nor a wreck specific as a king of peace who could impose order upon contentious rival aristocratic families. He turned a blind eye towards nobles who took advantage of the death of King Edgar to recover family lands donated to monasteries under duress. He himself despoiled Abington Abbey of property given to it by his father. It was only how he died that sanctified Edward's memory. The Anglo-Saxon clergy taught that lordship was the foundation of God's divine order, and that the highest species of earthly lordship was kingship. The murder of an anointed king was an affront to God. This did not mean that a slain king would automatically become a saint. St. Oswald and St. Edmund had died as martyrs fighting against and defying pagans. The murder of Edward's grandfather, King Edmund, in a brawl, on the other hand, had not inspired a cult. What Edward's death had that Edmund's lacked was a sense of deliberate betrayal. The historical context for the murder takes us back to the disputed royal election that followed the sudden death of King Edgar in 975. Royal elections in 10th century England combined principles of succession with practical considerations. The great men of the realm, lay and ecclesiastic, 
who constituted the late king's witan, that is, his council of wise men, chose the new king from among those deemed throneworthy. Throneworthy at this point meant that they could trace their descent from King Alfred. At Edgar's death, there were only two candidates who were throneworthy, his sons Edward, who was about 15 years old, and Edward's eight- or nine-year-old half-brother, Athelred. Edward's claim was based on his seniority. Athelred's on the status of his mother, Althrith, as a consecrated queen, and doubts about Edward's legitimacy. The contest for the throne pitted the two most powerful noble families against one another, with Elderman Athelwina of East Anglia supporting Edward, and Elderman Althera of Mercia supporting Athelred. It similarly divided the upper clergy, with the two archbishops, Dunstan of Canterbury and Oswald of York, advocating for Edward and Bishop Athelwold of Winchester supporting Athelred. In the end, Edward prevailed. I suspect that the factors that proved decisive were Archbishop Dunstan of Canterbury's support and the relative ages of the princes. To elect the child Athelred was to opt for a regency in which the Queen Mother and Alderman Althera would take leading roles. One could well imagine Dunstan intoning the biblical lamentation Woe to you, O land, whose king is a child. Edward reigned only three turbulent years before he was murdered. He proved to be a weak and unlucky king in comparison to his father. The machinery of Anglo-Saxon government continued to function. Charters were issued. Coins were struck in the king's name. Edward appointed three eldermen and presided over two meetings of the Witan. But the most dramatic event of his brief reign was the so-called anti-monastic reaction, in which laymen forcibly attempted to recover family lands from the reformed monasteries, while the lay patrons of those monasteries defended them with force. Under Edward's lax rule, the military system created by King Alfred and employed by his grandsons to create the Kingdom of England gave way to private armies raised and maintained by ecclesiastical and lay magnates. So who killed Edward and why? If we ask Cuibono to whose benefit, the answer is clear. Queen Alfred, her son Athelred, and their allies, in particular Elderman Althera and Bishop Athelwold. Later medieval chroniclers had no doubt that Althred was guilty. By the early 12th century, a tradition had arisen that she not only planned the killing, but executed it. The ordinarily reliable Henry of Huntington wrote that he had heard tell that Althrith personally stabbed her stepson to death while offering him a cup of wine. She had become the arch-typical wicked stepmother. The late 12th century Liber Eliensis goes even further, turning the pious Althrith into a harlot and a witch who murdered not only Edward, but also the first abbot of Ely in order to prevent him from exposing her dark secrets. This is the stuff of folk tales, not history. We cannot, however, dismiss the possibility that Alfred was complicit in a murder that occurred on her estate by members of hers and her son's households. Elderman Althera's contribution in discovering and translating the murdered king's body may be seen either as evidence of his innocence 
or is a cynical political move necessitated by Dunstan's refusal to anoint Athelred until Edward had been given a proper royal burial? I tend to favor the latter. The same is true for the choice of Shaftesbury as Edward's final resting place, which as a nunnery was under Queen Althrith's legal protection. Athelred's age alone, he was around 11 when his brother was murdered, might excuse him as a suspect, although one must remember that at the time the legal age for males to be prosecuted for crimes was 12. I am not ordinarily given to conspiracy theories, but I suspect that Edward's assassination had wider support than that of a single court faction. Bertford's Life of St. Oswald may provide the key. Bertford's portrayal of Edward is wildly inconsistent. He is represented as both a Christian martyr and, to be frank, a brat. The account of the murder begins with a very unflattering portrait of the new teenaged king. Noting that Edward's election had been contested, Bertford explains that many of the great men of the realm had preferred Athelred as king because of Edward's irascible temperament, which, quote, struck not only fear but terror in everyone. The king, Bertford tells us, was particularly hard on members of his own household, whom he, quote, hounded not only with tongue lashings, but even with cruel beatings, which might explain the participation of a royal butler in the assassination. Given that when Bertford wrote, Edward was already venerated as a martyr, I think that one ought to take seriously his characterization of the young king as an unstable teenager with an uncontrollably violent temper. The Magnus could not have been happy with the chaos of the anti-monastic reaction, even if they themselves were responsible for much of it. One can imagine that even those who preferred Edward originally to his younger half-brother might have regretted their original choice. The killers undoubtedly intended to place Athelred on the throne, but they may have been motivated less by their support for the child than by their fear and dislike of the young king. After experiencing three years of Edward's outbursts of temper, many of the great may have much preferred the more gentle and malleable Athelred on the throne. The murder was in essence a coup d'etat, Given the elective nature of Anglo-Saxon kingship, the murder that transformed a truculent teenager into a Christian martyr might be best characterized as a particularly brutal case of buyer's remorse. No one was ever punished for the crime. This was not because the identities of the killers were unknown. King Edward, as did all nobles, traveled with a retinue. They, at the very least, knew who killed their royal lord, and what was done with the corpse, so Althera's discovery of the body was not as miraculous as later writers made it out to be. It is telling that Edward's bodyguard did not avenge his death, and even more remarkable that Athelred as king never ordered his brother's murderers to be apprehended and executed, that he failed to use his power and authority to track down and punish the killers did not go unnoticed by contemporaries. The northern recension of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle pointedly observes that King Edward's, quote, earthly kinsman did not wish to avenge him, but assures the reader that his heavenly father revenged the slain youth by forcing those who had killed him to venerate his bones as a martyr. That's a great revenge. Bertfirth goes further, comparing the murderers to Cain, 
which is as close as Burford gets to assigning blame to Athelred. He describes how God punished the killers in this life as well as the next. One of them, Burford relates, was struck blind, a fitting penalty for one who would be deprived of the sight of God in the next life. Although contemporaries never directly blamed Athelred for the death of his brother, and the king was among the chief sponsors of Edward's cult, the murder cast a pall over his reign. In an age in which divine explanations were sought for both natural and man-made disasters, it is unsurprising that some trace the tribulations wrought by the Vikings to the unpunished murder of an anointed king. As Archbishop Wolfstan intoned, the Danes were God's just punishment upon the English people for their multiple sins, the greatest of which were the betrayal of two royal lords, King Edward to his death and King Athelred into exile. For Archbishop Wolfstan, the guilt for King Edward's betrayal belonged to the entire English nation, post-conquest Anglo-Norman ecclesiastical writers who similarly sought moral explanations for the dual conquests of the English by Danes and then by Normans extended the blame to the moral deficiencies of King Athelred and in the case of Edward's murder to the ruthless ambition of his wicked stepmother, Queen Althreth. The martyrdom became the original sin of Athelred's reign. <laughs>